All right, welcome everyone. I'm here in, where are we? Falls Church, uh, Thank Virginia. you, Falls Church, Virginia, on the road at the State Theater, playing a gig with my friend Mark Wenner tonight. And uh, I think we go back quite a ways. I want to say I've known you since the 90s at least. Yeah, we, we, we did a show here in this venue 20 years ago. We did 20, 20 years ago at the State Theaters the last the time late, I played. great James Harmon and... Right. Uh, Greg Fingers Taylor. Greg Fingers Taylor. Or not? Yes. Yeah. Is, is he okay? What's his? Not familiar. Not really. With yeah, he's 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 had a lot of health issues. So uh, yeah, he's he's having a tough time these days. But uh, anyway, it's good to see you, buddy. Yeah, you've always I, been a, likewise. a a real help, man. You have. Well, and. Uh, yeah, you've you've been doing this longer than most people, man. I mean, you know. Well, we the the band got did fifty years last year. Wow, that was a fifty year uh, celebration all year, and now it's fifty one. It's kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can't really. Fifty one. It's our fifty first anniversary. You can't, you can't really get away with that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but we uh, the band's been incredibly active the last couple of years, even weirdly through the pandemic and uh, we, mm -hmm. we had a, a safe house where we met once a week and if someone felt exposed we'd skip two weeks till everybody felt cool again and uh, we made an album doing pre-production and then studio a lot of production in a studio which is real unusual for us usually we'll we'll work up 10 songs in an afternoon and play them for six months right. or a year and then We'll walk in the studio and we'll just play them. Yeah. And, and maybe add a guitar solo to a rhythm part or something. But right. This time, I mean, we we wrote these songs and worked them up and created them kind of. Uh, it was it was an unusual process for us. And then even when we went in the studio, we were still doing uh, uh, pre-production, if you will. Although we started cutting stuff pretty right away as far as uh, rhythm tracks and all. Now, the Nighthawks has to be one of the most uh, famous East Coast blues bands, I think, since the 70s, right? Right. We started in 72. Was our 72. Start, yeah. so, uh, and it was you and, and Jim, Jimmy Thackeray together? Right. right. And then Pete Raguza? Right. And Jan Zikowski. Okay. Jan that Z band solidified in June of 74. And you had the rhythm section with you for a long time. Yeah. After, uh, after Jan Thackeray. stayed 32 years and Pete stayed 36 years. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's the same problem the Nighthawks always had. We couldn't put us in a box. We weren't. Right. We weren't really right. a blues rock band. Right. We weren't really. You guys covered a lot of ground and it made it really difficult for record companies to say, well, where do we put them in the record store? Yeah. Uh, well, the, it, wasn't, it wasn't until the Blasters and Los Lobos came that the critics came up with this term roots rock. Right. Well, that's that would have worked great. But when we were trying to make it big and well, uh, with Mercury and stuff, I mean, I remember... We had a whole new group of people at Mercury who had changed the company completely. Right. We got hired by a guy who was headquarters in Chicago. They all got axed. Chicago got closed. The guys in some guys in New York took over. Anybody we so you basically lost allies that you completely, had. yeah, completely. Yeah. And so we took a second record. The first record was kind of didn't didn't, didn't really happen. Yeah. 
and we, we, we made a second record and we took it up to these guys we didn't know. And they said, well, we hear a blues song here and a kind of a rockabilly song here. And this is sort of like soul Memphis Soul. Here. Yeah, right. And yeah. we don't know how to market this. And I'm saying, well, that's your job. You know, <laughs> I made the music. You know, but there's so many great bands that had that happen. You I know, mean, I Commander Cody, Rhythm, Amazing Rhythm Aces, so many right. that were in that same position. If they had position. Bruce Rock, they could have yeah. made a little box and put us right. all in it. And you're right, the Blasters, the Blasters were one of the first successful Right. Groups to I couldn't believe their first album. I right. said, what the, the same, same kind of thing. Kind of shit they were before, doing. But they were after you guys. That was well, the difference. At least in terms of, we were just probably too early putting out material before we really matured enough. Although, yeah. our first album, in some ways, is extraordinary. And I remember, I mean, Janet Pete joined the band in June. Mm -hmm. We had August off in September. We went in the studio and then we, we cut these tracks and then we all went into the studio with this engineer who was pretty good. And he, after about an hour, he kicked us out because he, you know, everybody was going, well, turn the heart, blah, blah, turn my blah, blah, blah. Right. He said, out, everybody out. I'll tell you when to come back. And we, we came back like two or three days later and I couldn't believe what he played us. It's like, he made us sound good. Wow. I mean, you know, we were simple. One thing was every, everything was so simple and, 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 and simple. Right. And it just really worked, and he just put it all together. Um, so this was Mercury? No, no, no. This oh. is uh, Aladdin. Really? This is Aladdin. This is the, the same Aladdin? Well, it wasn't the same. You got to understand, Billy Hancock that was with... Danny and the Fat Boys, the bass player, uh -huh. Danny Gatton and the Fat Boys. Right. The first album on Aladdin, our Aladdin, was Danny and the Fat Boys, American Music, and then us with Rock and Roll, and then Powerhouse with Nightlife. That's okay. the album catalog, period. Right. As far as I understand, somebody told Billy on the phone he could use the name Aladdin. Hmm, wow. He just ran with it. And I think somewhere after the thing at all completely crashed, right? Then they uh, got somebody mad. said, "You can't use that now." Right. It's like, well, you're too late. It's <laughs> too late, brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it wasn't like, but I mean, our album got a lot of attention in, in ways that even Danny's and and the Powerhouse album right. didn't get. And Powerhouse was Tom Principato uh, and George Lay, right? Pierre Beauregard, Pierre, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and that's in their was first. Was Deanna Bogart in there? No, she was in Cowboy Jazz. Okay. Right. Which I played on their first album. Oh, okay. Um, because my childhood hoodlum buddy was their roadie. <laughs> right. And she's from here, too. Huh? She's from yeah, here. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then the other ones that we were talking about earlier is, is Bobby Radcliffe and his brother Bruce. Right. Bruce Ewan. Right. The and they, the and they, were, they were from around here. So you guys really, in D.C., there was definitely a scene of young players, you know, I mean, you know, growing up in the in the late 60s, early 70s that were, you know, doing blues oh, and soul and, and roots, basically roots, yeah, roots well, music, man. Yeah, because you got to understand, yes. D.C., the music we got to hear was so mixed. Yeah. The radio stations, especially in the 50s, and I started listening to the radio in, in 56, 57, mm -hmm. it was wide open, and I would hear... Big Joe Turner and Johnny Cash in the same hour. Right. I would hear uh, 
you know, doo-wop and, and how the, and Jimmy Reed and John Lee Hooker, right. um, all as rock and roll. Mm-hmm. In about 58, 59, I mean, I was a paranoid little kid. I actually thought that they were messing with us. Hmm. I mean, I mean, this is how sick I was. I said, well, Elvis is in the Army. They banned Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, well, Chuck Berry's in yeah. jail. Ray Charles is in detox. And, 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 and little, little Richard, Richard went to, went to, went the, to the church. church. Yeah, right. I said, this yeah. is, some, someone's fucking with us. Yeah. This is not... I could see know. where you would and say And then that. all of a yeah. sudden we had... Uh, Frankie Avalon and right. Fabian and Bobby Rydell right. instead right. of Gene Vincent and right. Eddie Cochran. It was Cochran. almost like they got rid of all the oh, rabble rousers. Absolutely. Yeah. They got yeah. some cute boys that had nice yeah. hair. And right. some of them could sing. Bobby Rydell could sing his ass yeah. off. But Fabian, they yeah. almost invented, invented him, the yeah. single... It's like the monkeys in the 60s. Yeah. yeah. But they all, for Fabian, they all, I understand, they almost invented the line-by-line line recording. Mm-hmm. They'd record one line till they got it close enough, and then they'd move on. Yeah. You know, or, you know, everybody just went in the studio with the whole band and sang, you know? Yeah. They didn't care if someone fucked up a little bit somewhere as long as yeah. they got a hot take. And, but, you know, I mean, Elvis and Chuck Berry, I understand they were doing 30, 40 takes of songs. Really? You know, it's a whole different approach as opposed to right. doing one take and then fixing everything. <laughs> right, right, right. Which is more like... But well, initially they doing? started as guys that went in and just did one take or two takes. Well, I'm not, I mean, I, I mean, I don't really Chuck know. did, I think. And Apparently Chuck did a lot of takes on stuff. Did he? That's what I told chess? him. Really? Okay. But I don't huh. That I may be full of shit. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the story is. So uh, one of the things I was curious, so Mercury... What were some of the, you said Epic you guys did a record for? No, no, no. Was, only only big label. We went from Aladdin, yeah. which then failed. We moved over to another local label, Adelphi, okay. which had done an extraordinary amount of like acoustic blues recordings. Hmm. But right. the guy didn't want blues. He wanted us to rock out. And he did us and the All-Stars. Um, That's the and, Charlottesville All-Stars. Yeah, and... Yeah. and, and uh, we we made we made his most successful stuff with us was when we actually just played blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first the first album we did for him was called Open All Night, which because we had that's the one with the uh, Hopper yeah painting the right, Hopper right, and Nighthawks right, on the yeah. cover. Now we had ambitions to become pop stars, so I said, well, this is the time we, if we're going to do an all blues album, we should do it now because we won't be able to do it later. And of course, mm-hmm. what you really have to do is become a huge star, and then you make your blues right. album. You know? um, Good point, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, um, uh, so we did uh, Open All Night, which again, the first album got some attention. Yeah. Open All Night got reviewed in Playboy. Stereo I remember reviewed. that got a lot of attention. And yeah. I, I think our timing was so inc- perfect because... It had been so long since you had the, the 60s white boy blues bands, right. the Siegel Schwals and the yeah. Paul Butterfields and the Blues And this was projects. the early 70s by this time. Yeah, this was actually 76. Oh, okay. So it was so the first one was right. came, uh, Rock yeah. and Roll came out in 75. Okay. And Open All Night came out in 76, and Live at the Psychedelic came out in 76. Uh-huh. And those two things kind of really put us on the map. Um, one, everybody was ready for some white boys playing uh, 
straight up blues. East Coast blues, East, basically. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, the other band that I was going to say that was around that was doing something similar to you guys was, I mean, Jay Giles was kind Jay of Giles, doing something very similar to you guys earlier. Kind of with yeah. a lot more, yeah. maybe a lot more something. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I mean, in, when the first Jay Giles album came out, I was still living in New York. And my friend Greg Geller, who became a big deal record executive, mm -hmm. but he wasn't there quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, called me up and said, somebody just put out your album. I said, what do you mean? You got to come over and listen to this. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. someone right. beat me to it. Yeah, Because um, yeah. even Pack Fair and Square is almost oh, yeah. like a little rockabilly issue. Right, you know? it is kind of, um, yeah. So, um, uh, uh, we were still in formative stages and Jake Giles played at the University of Maryland and I made the whole band go hear him. Well, I went, uh -huh. they did it twice. So I went once, I think, by myself. And then the second time I went, I had everybody that was in the band at the time there. I said, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. This, this is it here. And I actually put these flyers on everybody's car in the parking lot. I drew Donald Duck with a big bushy hairdo because <laughs> I was sporting a big dude like oh, Magic okay. Dick right. playing play a harp with a little amp. Right. And it said, if you like the Jay Giles band, you'll love the Nighthawks. If you bring this flyer, you'll get a free beer at, at this club we were playing. Right. I don't know how... how I mean, I, I was very ambitious at that time, and I would do anything I could. You know, right. Now I'm lazy as shit. I don't know. <laughs> I'm doing an interview with that's you. What, that's you're, what, that's but what, you're my pal. You yeah, know? that's what happens when you, when you get old, you right. know? Yeah. <laughs> All that ambition just goes out the window. I swear. But I, I, I so, so basically, Mercury was was the the big label that you guys. Were yeah, on. it was. Yeah. When I, when I, I, I remember you telling me about a story about playing in Muscle Shoals, where you guys were recording down there. Yeah. At the studio. Right, uh, but Dylan was down the hall. Right, and you said and, Dylan was there doing and, the Saved album, and they sent right. a guy over to borrow a E flat harp. Ah, okay, it, so I they knew it. you I, were in the studio. I, I said, only if Bob Dylan autographs the box, because I knew I knew he did, didn't like signing autographs. Right. So I got me a box with Bob. Oh, that's pretty cool. And all the best Bob Dylan. Did you guys talk? Not really. We encountered him, uh, what well, Jerry Wexler was, was producing him. Okay. So we, at one point, we were both on a break at the same time in the, the, pool, the room, the pool room. Uh, right. With the pinball machines, and right. He reminded me of of me when I was thirteen or fourteen, hanging around the pool hall, trying to not get beat up by the 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 eight, sixteen, and seventeen year olds. Interesting. You know, he he kind of just had a, had a like a cool but you know tough to be kind of detached. He was also tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I love the pictures of him as a kid riding these these big old Harleys and shit. You know? Right, right, that's there's right. A picture, there's a great picture of his dad Yeah. on a, a, a mid-30s Harley. Really? Yeah, looking very much like Bob. What a trip. Um, well, yeah, he was, he was a bike rider for sure. Apparently, oh yeah. yeah well, he got in that bad rep. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, back in Minnesota, it was, it was still Harleys. Right, you know, still the, the big stuff, not the, the, the fast right. little triumphs. You know? Yeah. Now, how long were you and Thackeray working together? Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 how did that? I mean, I I know you have to be diplomatic about this, but what was kind of the the separation point with that? Well, I just some different directions, or 
he seemed to think he was moving in other directions musically. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, even getting, we got Greg Wetzel in the band because Jimmy wanted to start writing stuff that needed a keyboard. Mm -hmm. I think Jimmy needed somebody who would stay up and drink with him all night. Which uh, Wetzel was highly qualified to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but <laughs> I didn't So did, was your idea to keep it a quartet? That was kind of really your, yeah. your mission was to keep it a quartet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think that ultimately there's certain magic in, in the Beatles as far as the, 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 the balance of four, you know, where you... The Stones, it's like Mick and Keith and uh, what's that other guy's name? I'm not sure we remember the names, but but yeah, the, John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Right. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's they were always there. It was easy. Everybody knew everybody's name. Everybody yeah. was visible. And even if you listen to a lot of our of those albums from that period, like Jan would sing one song, like like Ringo would sing one song. Pete would sing maybe two songs, like George Harrison. Would right. Have, a different lean, and then me yeah. and Thackeray split it. Split like it up. Paul and John. Yeah. Um, now, one thing we did when we wrote, no matter who brought what into the song, into the package, we published them as written by all four of us. Uh huh. And it was, it my so that's I know Jig Isles did that. They had a thing called Juke Joint Jimmy, Jimmy was yeah. when it was all five of them. Right. Let's let's take a break here and come back. I'm trying to do these in 20 minutes. All right, we are back with Mark Winter of the Nighthawks. And we're talking about the quartet of the Nighthawks and how you've you've pretty much kept that intact. It's true, and as much as I love having a second guitar or keyboard, mm -hmm. it, it, I, I've always tried to, to make the harp not just something that comes in for a solo here and there, but right. it's part of the whole band sound, the rhythm, the rhythm section, here. right. Uh, and, um, you know who kind of did that was Muscle White sort of did that. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean he would he would keep playing generally. Oh yeah. You know, even though the guitar player was playing a solo, he'd keep playing. Mm -hmm. That's kind of that's kind of what he would do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, anyway, I mean, you know, you guys have been uh, you know fifty years. That's an incredible fifty one. 51 years. That's an incredible length of time to have a group together. It's kind of insane. I mean, and, even though I'm the only one. And how, how old are you? Are you, you you're 74. I'll 74. Be 75 in November. Oh, okay. All right. So you're still traveling. You're, you're not doing, you said you don't really want to do Europe as much, and you're really kind of more into staying in the in, I don't want to get on airplanes. You're just not into going going on airplanes. Yeah. For sure. So you pretty much when you guys do your touring you're driving. Yeah. Yeah. So walking. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I remember, you know, the first time I saw you was when you guys came out to San Francisco uh for the blues festival. Oh yeah. The yeah. One, now the was one. that your first West Coast trip when you did that? Was, or was that did you come one, out before yeah, that? At Golden Gate Park or in the Yeah, downtown? Golden Gate Park. It oh, was like one. I want to say it was uh with James Cotton and Rod Piazza and I, James oh. Cotton wasn't there. Rod might have been there. Oh, I want to say it was nineteen seventy eight. It was nineteen seventy eight because I have it on the poster. That would have been our first trip for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, I thought we didn't get out there until eighty, but I'm I may be wrong. 
No, you were on 78. I have the poster. Oh, that's the park, the real park where the, uh, all the Grateful Dead shit happened. Right, it's the band show where they had the band right, show. Because then later we played the park at the top. Of, of oh, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about the Presidio. Yeah, we the played Presidio the Presidio in, in Fort Mason. That yeah. would have been 83 or 4. Yeah, that's when he moved. Piazza walked the crowd with a wireless, and James Cotton. I got pictures of me and James Cotton. Right. And, uh, yeah, that would have been, uh, that was that was later on. And the yeah. show, show so, 81, he moved it to Fort Mason. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. And so. So really, I mean, you guys were in a lot of ways. You were really locked in as an East Coast band in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, we. I mean, you guys would go from basically Maine to Florida and 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 back and forth. Did you do the Midwest much? Well, in, well, initially, what we did was in in '76 we started going to Boston and Atlanta, right? Going up and down, back and forth. And in '78 we went. You say California? I don't quite remember that, but I remember going. To Chicago, to um, uh, Denver, Boulder, Denver, down to uh, Austin, and then New Orleans. We okay. did that circle, yeah. and then in '81, I think we we uh, we went we jumped from um, Salt Lake City. We we met up with Muddy Waters Band in right. Seattle, right, and went all the way down to San Diego with them. So that's pretty cool to tour with those oh, guys. Absolutely, yeah, it's incredible. A lot of and you already over. knew those guys. Yeah, I mean they were because well, I remember you recorded with uh, Muddy's band, or at least Pine Top and, and yeah, but and this Junior. wasn't those guys, unfortunately. Right, this was after the mute. Right, that was that so was we after knew the those mute. Guys, right. we recorded with them. Right, it was, but essentially you guys had a big time connection with. Uh, Margolin uh, Junior, uh, Guitar Junior, Guitar Junior, and Pine, Pine Top. Top. Yeah, and and I'm sure you knew Willie and Calvin and, Willie. and Calvin really well. They were both all they're all on Jackson Kings. The only right. one Jerry recorded a couple of songs and then decided he didn't want to give it up because he's already thinking of the legendary blues. Right, band. right. And uh, of course we couldn't get money. <laughs> right. But right. we were recording those Jackson Kings tracks. We were playing two shows a night at the cellar door. Hmm. And we had to, we were, that commercial album we did in '77, Side Pocket Shot. We had the studio blocked out for a month with all our shit set up. Right. So in the middle of that month, we ended up doing five five days with Muddy at the cellar door here. Yeah. And we would play two shows, and then everybody would go to the studio in Silver Spring, and everything would be set up, and we'd just right. start jamming. Yeah, and then we'd go home when it got sun came up, and then sleep, and then play the show the next night. And I think we did that a couple nights in a row. Wow! So That's we just cool. turned Pine Top. We had Dave Maxwell in tow as well, just to oh, spice cool. things up. Muddy, right? Muddy had suggested him if we wanted the piano player, we ought to think about him. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, he was definitely a guy that played with everybody, man. Yeah, he was. He was amazing. He was amazing. Yeah, yeah I used to. Uh, when we when we started going to Boston a lot on, uh, we would uh, we would stay at the Powerhouse House, which was Prince Pato, Pierre Beauregard, Doug J, and uh, Jeff, the Memphis Rockabilly Band. I don't mess with my duck tail, but anyway, you know you got four guys with the most incredible record collections ever, a yeah. lot a lot of marijuana, um, <laughs> a lot of staying up all night, and. and 
tapping into this all this incredible collections of music. Right. Um, and then, so we were sleeping bags on the living room floor, and then I started staying over at Maxwell's house, and we stayed up and listened to really crazy shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. He played the shag show. We had been listening to, like, you know, some space jazz or something. It's like 5.30 in the morning, and he comes up with philosophy of the world by the shags. I mean, my brain just melted at that point. Like, <laughs> what are you playing for? Uh, but, that's great. Yeah. Well, it's funny how, you know, people, a lot of people aren't around anymore, huh? No, of no. our generation. It's weird. No, no, no. Now, did Jeff Sardley play with you guys? Did he ever work in the... Pretty much briefly. Yeah, no, Jeff and I worked together in a thing called the Blue Rider Trio. Okay. With the late Ben Andrews. So I'm the only survivor okay. of the Blue Rider Trio. Now, who is Ben Andrews? Ben Andrews was a local... Uh, finger picker, uh, he did all the Robert Johnson, Blind Blake, all that kind of stuff, hmm. acoustic. Um, and the, the point was kind of hot tuna like, where that you'd be it'd be a Blind Willie McTell song that would have some extended jamming kind of in, mixed in, right? But as a you guys wanted the coronas, yeah, uh, yeah, that'd be fine, okay, yeah, okay. So I'm back with Mark Wenner, and we we're talking about uh. Just the scene in, in D.C. and the Nighthawks and, and all the different people that you worked with, Muddy Waters and his band, and um, uh, Bobby Radcliffe, who I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, because you know Bobby from when? When did you and Bobby Radcliffe? Well, I didn't know him, but we were in the same school when he was in the fourth and I was in the eighth grade. Really? So we're in the same yearbook. Wow. But as a fourth grader, he just looks like a little kid, and I, I had already, you know, had my greased hair and pegged pants and white socks and pointy loafers. Yeah, that's I great. Was somebody, but yeah. So Bobby Radcliffe is is a guy that uh, is from D.C., <laughs> but he ended up moving to New York, and he was on Blacktop Records for a while. That was a great right? period. His Blacktop Records. Yeah, those are great records. Fantastic. And then and then he ended up. Just recently, no one ever thought he'd get out of New York. Really? He ended up in Asheville, uh, North Carolina. So uh, we saw him last year, and and you guys go way back. Well, yeah, and I just got out of high school, and one of my buddies had rented a little house sort of in the woods where there's now a shopping center. Mm -hmm. um, and he says, uh, I'm having a party, and my, little, my younger cousin's got a a band and they play blues and you should bring some harps so there was these 16 year olds right and they were doing the canty the uh, boogie thing and bobby really? had one of the first box distortion boosters what a totally channeling henry vestine at that yeah moment. and was that uh, bruce as well as brother oh no no, no. oh bruce comes along much okay later. bruce was right. very young at this point okay bobby was 16 so yeah. bruce was probably nine yeah if that because a few years later, Bobby and I did a little This is the Blues workshop to Bruce's seventh grade class. Wow. Um, in fact, we're playing a party tomorrow for when Bruce is going to come sit in with us for a gal that was in that class, too. What a trip. But Bobby, when I, I went to, left for New York in 66, and I would come home. Now, were you living there at that point? New York? Yeah. Yeah, I lived in New York in 66 to 72. Oh, okay. And Bobby would come visit me, All right. liking the New York vibe. But I would come home for Christmas break or whatever, and he would be playing locally. Uh, 
at these at these joints, and I would come sit in. Hmm. Um, then when I moved back here, he had a quite a nice thing going on. He had a, an integrated band, two black guys, two white guys. Uh, he was getting the gigs in the hippie joints, and the black guys were getting gigs in these soul incredibly clubs, yeah. lush black clubs, yeah. which no shortage of in DC. Right, right. Um, I mean, with the, it was the the pimp hat era, you yeah, know, and yeah. plush everything. And, yeah. Um, I when I, I I was pretty shameless, but I just started. I moved back here in February '72, and just went to almost every gig he played, and he huh. didn't kill me. Yeah, I ended up stealing his drummer basically. <laughs> um, his drummer said, "Well, you know, because I, uh, his drummer liked my concept, which was different from Bobby's, um, um, and he started kind of courting me. He said, I really like what you mind would drive, and he had a bass player that uh, would jam, but." Couldn't commit because he just had a kid and had to keep his top forty job where he made one hundred and twenty dollars a week. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, uh, you know, I kept sitting in with Bobby and all, but um, his drummer started. We started uh, trying out different guitar players. Nobody rang the bell until Thackeray came along. And oh, okay. Thackeray got kicked out of the Crawling Kingsnake Blues Band that moved to Boston. To to work would become powerhouse with Brent Zapata. Okay. The whole band went up there except yeah. for Jimmy. Except for Jimmy, well, I didn't know Charlie that. Charlie Hubel told me about that that day, and that night I was over at Jimmy's, and the next night I had him in my parents' basement, and we could have done a gig. We went actually, we later went out to where there was a jam session going on. Uh huh. We had so much in common because in, in Crawling Kingsnake band. They played Little Walter, Note for Note, Junior Wells, and Buddy Guy, Note for Note. Wow. And I had been wallowing in that material. Right, so. right. Jimmy didn't sing at all at that point. He was mm -hmm. 17, he looked at his feet, played a Rickenbacker, but he knew, he had learned Note for Note, and he's really stuff, good yeah. at knowing Note for Note. Yeah. But I could have pulled any Little Walter song out of my And he would have known it. He would have yeah. known the parts. Yeah. And, uh, Especially, it's I what had, a harp player wants, man. I had really, in, in, <laughs> in my thing in New York, was you couldn't really play shuffles and people wouldn't dance. Right. So I was really relying on Booker T, Junior Walker, and, and Buddy Guy Junior Wells stuff, which was all James Brown grooves. In fact, I did some James Brown shamelessly. Right. But the thing is, you couldn't, in my New York bands, uh, the guys were all playing through huge amplifiers. And I was singing through a Bogan 35 watt amp. So even uh, though I looked like I knew what I was doing, you couldn't hear me at all. I think I was singing through one custom cabinet. Hmm. The, the rhythm guitar player was playing uh, the, the Ampeg. Uh, Perfect. Thank you so much. Playing, you know, like uh, with a V4. Bass player was playing an SVT. Right. The lead guitar player was playing to a super. Rhythm guitar player was playing to a super. I had deluxe reverb. Wow. And, and a Bogan 35 watt amp to sing through. So <laughs> I don't think you could hear. Right, we got a case of water could. for you guys. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. All right. So Thackeray was uh, was was the maestro of all the traditional he, he really heart style there, blues. Yeah. There is a. Uh, Somewhere there exists a cassette of the first night the four with this bass player would come to my house and jam with us, but mm -hmm. when we did one so there's a cassette of us in my parents' basement and there's a reel to reel of us 
playing a wedding party uh, for a friend of mine um, that I've, I don't think I've ever heard. Hmm. Probably is completely deteriorated, but <laughs> um, but uh, it clicked. It really clicked. The drummer, yeah. the drummer, you know, was was pretty good. We went through a lot of different bass players initially, mm-hmm. and then we had a situation where we were getting pretty popular, where I could knew I could offer that top forty money. To and we and so we, we went and checked out drummers and bass players, thinking we would keep one or the other. Yeah. Uh, and then Jan and Pete ended up in the... In a, and they clicked. Uh, and it was just, holy shit. Yeah. You know? yeah. And right then, our fifth fifth uh, man who played piano and, and uh, guitar was secretly rehearsing with the brand new Rosalind Mountain Boys to run off and do country stuff. Really? And um, they were like the Nighthawks, uh, the honky-tonk Nighthawks. Interesting. Wow. And he, we didn't know that he was missing rehearsals because he was rehearsing with them. Wow. And so the last night of the old rhythm section, we all went out to smoke a joint, and Peter goes, oh, by the way, this is my last night, too. Wow. So I had to go to Pete and Jan and say, well, dudes, if you join to play with him, right. even though you haven't got to play with him much. Yeah. Uh, and he's the one that really brought Little Feet into the band and stuff like that. Of course, we went on to... we The a, keyboard guy? Yeah. yeah. But we went on to, uh, yeah, with the Jan and Pete and me and Jimmy. We did a whole set of just Little Feet. Really? The only song that wasn't Little Feet was uh, Memo from Turner. So you um, guys really had uh, a very, very wide... Uh, selection of, of styles that oh, you were doing I, by I, that time. By that time, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, um, and now, do you guys have like kind of, would you say you have like a, a biker following? I mean, have you played things like Sturges? Oh, or, yeah. Have yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. We went to Sturges once. We've been to Daytona every year for, every year. for 45 yeah. years. Right. Um, How about like Myrtle Beach and stuff oh, like that? We've never really played Myrtle Beach. Really. Uh-huh. I went to Myrtle Beach once as a civilian and just watched the pagans and Hell's Angels try to kill each other and said, I don't need to be here. <laughs> no, the, thank Sturg- you. The Sturgis yeah. in 1990 was pretty cool. Right. Because we had Jimmy Hall and Jimmy Knowles. Oh, okay. And we played, um, we played with Marshall Tucker one night, and of course they were buddies with Marshall Tucker. Yeah. And we played with John Kay one night. Really? And yeah, I, I saw John Kay one time at the, the Myrtle Beach, the big biker thing oh, in Myrtle Beach. Right. And it was like my drummer and I were standing there watching like literally 3,000 bikers singing Born to be Wild together. And my drummer was just, he was just in hysterics. This is, this is the like, moment. This is it. <laughs> well, that's what, there was this moon come up. Uh, uh, oh, we, were, we were backstage at, at Sturgis. And he's playing Born to Be Wild, and every, the, the, the club, the Outlaws, was there in its entirety. Yeah, they all fired up their bikes. One, one, one. Oh man, the moon is coming up. It's just the biggest moon you ever saw. Yeah, I was hanging out. That's kind of like what we saw because it was sunset. I think when he was doing it. And man, I'm telling you, I've never seen a guy get in a limo so quick. <laughs> get me out of here. He got done with that song, and he was in that limo within seconds of the ending. Yeah. But uh, did you work with Hammond a lot? Didn't you? Oh, you and John Hammond. Yes, he was a hero. Right. Um, funny because I initially didn't like his records. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of uh, racially prejudiced about white people singing blues. Right. I wasn't really crazy about his early 
the just the way he would sing and try to right. try to be whatever it was, maybe trying to be too black. Right. But I started hearing him in New York when he was he had the, the little the little trio and Joe Dicey on harp and Bill Dicey. Bill Dicey on right. Joe's yeah. Joe's the son. Right. Um and uh Charles Not Jimmy Spurl. No, no, but the rhythm section Black rhythm section, New York rhythm hmm. section. Uh, Charles Otis. Oh yeah, 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 and right. They're on, right, they're on right. the, the sooner or later album. Right. One few times he recorded with his own band. Right. And he was playing the Les Paul and standing up, and, and so I got really into that. Mm -hmm. And he also he recorded, I can tell sooner or later that Southern Fried, uh, which are I think are extraordinary albums that right. you know had the the thing that the first Jay Giles album had, they had that mix. It wasn't that vanguard a little too polite right kind of gets in that don't let anything get out of hand. It was in your face, you know. Are those on uh Vanguard those Atlantic, records? Atlantic. Those are on Atlantic. That was okay. the deal. All right. Two of them okay. were on Atlantic, one might be on Columbia. Mm -hmm. But uh, they had the sound and the impact. Were I mean, those Jerry I, Wexler Thanks. I'm not sure. I can tell that uh, Bill Wyman and Charlie Watts and, uh, and um, the guy from the band, Robbie Robertson. Really? Yeah, I mean, just. I know Robbie Robertson's on that first, that, 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 that Vanguard. The right? early stuff, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but this was just out of, out of the park. And then when I moved back here, I went to see him at the cellar door and just kind of crashed the dressing room and made friends with him. Mm -hmm. uh, at some point after, you know, coming back and seeing him more the number of times, I guess I got to play with him just myself. Right. And then I kept saying, you know, can we come back you up somewhere? And I figured we'd do it acoustically. And we sort of did at a, a local joint here. And then we started playing with him a lot. And we right. it. when we got on, when we got with the Rosebud Agency. Right. You know, it was... Then it was kind of set. It was yeah, it was too because, easy for yeah, them to you yeah. know book, book Package two, two action. Yeah. We also because we had production, we had a PA and roadies and stuff. Right. We got a lot of like college gigs with Muddy, right? Because they didn't have to buy a PA, you know, right? Um, so the Rosebud period was kind of the golden era. So are you guys actually traveling by bus and stuff during that time? It was all vans, always vans, vans yeah. and cars. Yeah. Um, well, we had a we had a truck. You had a truck that took the PA and the stuff? PA and everything. Okay. And yeah. we had, we were up to three guys on the road with the four of us. Wow. And then we had a woman at home on, on telephone. Wow. Um, I mean, we even were at a point where we had um, um, everybody on Blue Cross Blue Shield, everybody wow. on Guaranteed. That's some serious income, yeah. $500 a week. Damn. Um, we sent our roadies to the to the store to, with a list of harps and strings and wow. picks and whatever else yeah. you buy regular. Um, I mean, I, in those days, I walk on stage and flip my amp off a of standby. That was it. I, yeah. I, I was showing up like right. five minutes to nine in a packed <laughs> house. You know. Welcome to my world. <laughs> uh, those days are over. <laughs> now I got my own PA. Yeah, tell me about it. it like, no, I, I I was talking to my friend Terry Hank about uh, no, I know Terry about yeah we were talking about Elvin and how 
you know, Elvin had that huge hit and they were in limos and they were staying at five-star hotels. And he goes, you know, within a year or something, it started dropping. And pretty soon they're back in vans and then they're staying at funkier hotels. And it's kind of like, you know, like, what happened? <laughs> well, it, I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's just reality yeah, of the business. Yeah, you know? and yeah. and the fact that someone else sang the song. Right. That I, True. We worked with, with Elvin after yeah. that when he refused to do the song. Now, wow. now, now he, he does it as an as, instrumental. As a slide instrumental, yeah. right. and, he, and he has backup singing. So right. you get the right. get the phrasing. Gets, but gets. he would not do it when we were yeah. working with him. And we worked with him when he transitioned from a drunk to a, a sober guy. Right. I remember. The, yeah. the drunk stuff was actually pretty rough. Oh, yeah. And, and hard, a little hard to handle. But I know. But um, no. I, I saw but, that. I, we, I remember being in Cleveland, and we finished the set, and these middle-aged women, he would just, he'd be gone. Yeah. We'd be out there taking the shit down, and right. you didn't play the song. You didn't play Fools Around. Well, you know, that's and, that's that thing I always, you know, my, my friend told me about years ago. He said, you know, there was this point where, uh, you know, when you have a hit, you, you better, better have one you like, because yeah. when you don't, you're going to be forced to play that motherfucker until the end of days, basically. Sure, and I mean, even, yeah. what was that song, Brandy, by... Oh, yeah. That band didn't play anything else like that. Right, you know, I don't exactly. Know how, how that even got... I don't even there. know who that band was, but, yeah. Looking Glass. Looking Glass. Yeah, okay. What you need, Daddy-O? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, we should probably wrap things up, because yeah, I think Hopefully we'll see some food here. Dinner soon. here in a minute. Yeah. But anyway, man, I, it's great talking with you, Mark. Likewise. Always great to see you, and, and uh, thanks for sharing some of these stories about the old days. Man. Yeah, indeed. It's uh, been a good run. Yeah, we've, you guys have had seen, a hell of a run. We've seen a lot of cool stuff in our yeah in our time, and, and, and got to meet and play with so many of our yeah guys, yeah. Well, that's you know, you know that's, Elvin and, I'm and, very thankful for all that you yeah. know. That, uh, I mean, I haven't gotten to play as, you know, I mean, I wasn't able to play with Muddy, unfortunately, but, you know, a lot of the other people. We just did some stuff with Muddy's son, and it's... it's right, that's it's what I heard not, with Mud. Not quite as great, but it's pretty cool. He sings a lot like oh, him. Man, he moves. Yeah, and, he, he kind of studied the hell out of the end of Muddy's career. Yeah, he's really... He uh, really studied it. Channeling. Yeah, his and, voice really sounds like Yeah. That. More than anyone else. Yeah, it's a thrill. We got, yeah. we just did the DC Blues Society. Got right, the, got the back. It's very expensive, so yeah. our opportunities to play with him have been very few. Yeah, where I would like to do a lot more of it. But, right, but uh, it takes a, a deep pocketbook to, yeah. to book him at this point. Yeah, well, he gets big money in Europe, you know, that's the whole thing. Yeah. You know, blues guys that can go over to Europe and make, you know, piles of dough and, and you know, they come back here and it's like, unfortunately, a lot of times people don't know their name. All right, man. Well, thanks again, buddy. Thank you.